are listening to the Stillbirth Matters podcast presented by the Star Legacy Foundation, a national nonprofit founded on the belief that every pregnancy deserves a happy ending. My guest for this episode is Susanna Hopkins Lesher. She's the chair of the International Stillbirth Alliance and co-chair of the Stillbirth Advocacy Working Group. Susanna is the mother of three living sons and Wilder, who was stillborn on July 13, 1999. Well, Susanna, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Before we get into the subject matter at hand, I always want to know how people get into this crazy topic, this t- topic that so many people just land in. Um, some some people choose it for other reasons. Other people have personal experiences. But can you tell us a little bit how you ended up in the pregnancy loss and stillbirth space? Sure. Um, so my first son, my first child and first son, uh, Wilder, was stillborn uh, almost 21 years ago, uh, July 13th, 1999. Um, he was, uh, stillborn at full term, 38 and a half weeks after a perfect pregnancy, and we never found out the cause. Um, so that's kind of the, the short answer of why I care about stillbirth. Um, like most women and, and men who, to whom this happens, I had barely heard of stillbirth before my child was stillborn. Um, and I certainly didn't expect it was going to happen to me, <clears throat> um, Wilder, was six pounds, 12 ounces. He was perfectly formed as far as I knew. We had an autopsy done. We had genetic this, that, and the other done. And bottom line was that um, nobody knew what had happened. I went on to have three other living sons who are now 16, 18, and 19. Um, And at the time that uh, Wilder was born, I was in the middle of a career that I really loved, which was working... um, on poverty reduction um, globally, um, mostly with nonprofits. So I was living in Vietnam. I, I lived and worked in Vietnam for 10 years. Um, and I did work in uh, a lot of other uh, regions of the world um, with um, women and ethnic minorities and uh, working on water supply and irrigation and credit and savings and so forth. Um, but I gradually became um, dis. dis- I had a feeling of disconnect, a growing feeling of disconnect between myself and my career, even though I, I did love my career. And um, finally, in 2011, um, my family, I, I quit my uh, job. Um, at the time, we were uh, back in the States, and I was at that time the uh, vice president of programs for a small nonprofit called Trickle Up, which is based in New York City um, and um, works to reduce extreme poverty. Um, and I, I quit. I left that job. Um, we uh, took a year living off the grid in uh, the woods of Maine. And um, it was during that year that um, I realized that what I had always seen as my personal issue, stillbirth, had a huge overlap with my professional issue of of, of poverty work and and um, inequity, um, in the sense that about ninety eight percent of stillbirths globally are in low and middle income countries. And um, although my own uh, loss was not related to poverty or inequity, the majority of stillbirths um, do have that as a as a um, um, as a setting. And so um, I started. Uh, 
kind of trying to learn a little bit more about stillbirth um, from a non-personal perspective. And that's where I first encountered the word epidemiology, which I'd never heard before. And of course, these days at this moment, it's a, it's a hot topic for other reasons. Um, and I decided that um, I would go back to school and um, simul- and and I should back up. Um, I also, um, after uh, leaving Vietnam, we moved to Australia. We were in Australia for three years where my youngest son was born. And it was there that I first heard of the International Stillbirth Alliance. Um, I wanted I had wanted to do something, quote unquote, as a bereaved mom. And um, so I, um, I hooked up with uh, SANS, um, the Stillbirth and Neonatal Death um, Society in Australia, in Queensland specifically. And I started um, uh, volunteering as a peer counselor um, there. And I did that for a couple of years while I was living in Brisbane. And it was, it was wonderful, um, but I wanted to do more. And because of my um, global uh, poverty reduction work, I, I was interested in, in sort of the global perspective. And so I asked my, my friends at SANS if they knew what I could do. And they said, well, have you heard of ISA, the International Stillbirth Alliance? They said it's the only um, global organization that, um, that works on stillbirth at a global level. So I reached out, I emailed um, uh Vicky Flanady, um, who, who happens to also be in Brisbane. And she, uh, I introduced myself and she said, do you want to help with editing the newsletter? And I said, sure. So for a few years, um, starting in 2007, I edited the ISA newsletter. And um, then we moved our family back to the States. Um, I took up this position with Trickle Up and I got too busy to, to do any more volunteering with ISA. But then when, when, when I quit Trickle Up and we, we took our year off as a family and I started learning about epidemiology, um, ISA came back into my mind. And, and the International Stillbirth Alliance, one of our, our, our main events, our, our main, our, our biggest sort of um, uh, uh, um, action um, is our annual um, stillbirth-focused global conference. And in 2011, it was in Antigua in the in the Caribbean, and um, I went for the first time to the ISA conference. I had always wanted to attend. I had known about the conferences for several years, but um, this was the first time that I could go, and I actually went with a broken leg on crutches, which is another story. <laughs> um, and it was there that I finally met um, Vicky and um, other uh, people who, who I only knew by name. And I can t- I'm getting chills right now because I can tell you, you know, I, I, I entered the sort of down at the mouth hotel where the, the, the um, conference was being held and I had just gotten off the plane and there was a group of people in the lobby sitting, you know, on chairs and stuff. And, and I was swept into a, a sort of virtual embrace. Um, here were, you know, people who were scientists and researchers and, and, and medical doctors. And I was, you know, quote, just a parent, unquote. And it did not matter. Um, there, there were, number one, there were bereaved parents there. Uh, and number two, the people who weren't bereaved but who were there also got it. And I just immediately realized that I had found my tribe. And uh, there, you know, I mean, now, so that was back in 2011. And um, that's how I became involved um, with um, with epidemiology. I'm currently a, a doctoral student in epidemiology at Columbia University, starting my dissertation. 
Um, and I'm been uh, involved in stillbirth prevention research through uh, um, Vicky's mentorship since 2012 when she gave me room to start even, quote, just as a parent, unquote, to, to, to truly contribute to actual research. Um, and then I started learning uh, through other um, colleagues and dear friends about um, uh, the situation of stillbirth globally and uh, how to um, and the need for stillbirth advocacy at a global level. I'd been involved in advocacy work on poverty in my prior career, so I was familiar with that as a tool. But um, So it all just kind of things, uh, the ball started to, to really get rolling in, in 2011 in Antigua. But that, that sensation of being with my tribe and of a place where, you know, um, you know, I, I, when, when I had Wilder, I was inadvertently uh, sort of signed on as a, I always think of it as a, you know, a member of the club. You don't want to be a member of the club, but you are the club of, of moms and, and other people who, dads and so forth, who've, who've lost their babies in, in the, this way. And, um, you know, inside that club, um, you can be relaxed and um, be confident that people get it. And, you uh, it's a very nourishing um, place, and I've been really privileged and happy to be a part of it since then. So that's a really long-winded answer. <laughs> One thing about your story that fascinates me is um, we have found through the Star Legacy Foundation that when families get interested in stillbirth advocacy, it's usually immediately after their loss or soon thereafter and then there's that two to three year window where they're they're very involved, they're very interested, and then naturally they get distracted by career and other life milestones, and oftentimes they start to yeah. um, trickle away a little bit. Yeah, you had a very opposite effect right. where twelve years after your loss of Wilder, you you found your tribe and you found it uh, yep. 12 years after the fact. How did that, how did that happen exactly? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I think there are a couple of factors, um, very different factors. One was that when I lost Wilder, I was living in Vietnam and thank God we had actually gone back to the States to give birth, not knowing. And I'm so grateful we did because we had, um, you know, except for my baby dying, we had a, a very positive experience in terms of our support. And had we been in Vietnam at the time, it would have been very different. But um, there was zero in terms of, you know, I mean, there's no such thing as a support group in Vietnam, there's nothing. So, um, and I lived, we stayed in Vietnam for another four years after Wilder's death. So in, in a time where I was very wrapped up in my, um, uh, my poverty work. Um, and uh, so, so that was one thing that where I, I, you know, there was no even possibility of being a peer supporter and anything like that. And of course, the internet was pretty, you know, still pretty uh, spotty, um, at least in Vietnam at that time. So I think, um, you know, maybe my natural inclination to be very involved and engaged um, couldn't be satisfied in those um, first years. Um, so that's, that's, and then, you know, and then we went to Australia for three years and um, where I finally was able to start being a peer supporter. So that, that's one thing that delayed my, my engagement. But I think the other thing was that I, I was just, I use the word lucky and I, I think, you know, bereaved parents and stuff will get it, you know, as lucky is a, it's a weird word. I mean, lucky and unlucky. I, anyway, I was, it was convenient that my professional work 
happened to have this enormous um, overlap with with stillbirth. And so, um, you know, I mean, I'd been doing participatory research for, you know, 20 years. I'd been focused on, um, you know, inequitable, you know, um, allocation of resources and um, raising uh, voices of, of marginalized people for, for, you know, like two decades. I mean, just not on stillbirth. And, um, and um, you know, and also, I mean, I was a I, I was the head of Oxfam Hong Kong's uh, program in Vietnam for five years. I did a lot of team leadership, and it said I had a lot of sort of those um, kind of soft skills that that lend themselves to to work um, on on stillbirth as well. And so there's a lot of potential for translation of of my skill set um, to this realm. And the other thing is. Um, that's the second uh, reason w- why perhaps it can explain why I went towards and rather rather than away from uh, further work on stillbirth was this you know overlap of of the personal and professional for me, and then the other thing was uh, very ironically my, my undergrad degree is in math I, I'm a quant person despite my sort of you know qualitative research focus in in um, in my poverty work I actually have roots in, in sort of quantitative. Um, interest and I, I really I love numbers and you know stillbirth needs a lot of number crunching and there's you know there's not a lot of numbers going on out there and you know we need advocacy to get more numbers on the table um, uh, I, I really my my epidemiology studies have brought me into the the world of biostats which I, I love and <laughs> and I, I kind of have that um, uh, set of interests as well, which um, which I actually didn't get a lot of opportunity to pursue as part of my poverty work. So um, I'm just parenthetically relishing that component of um, of of work on uh, uh, stillbirth prevention and global stillbirth advocacy. So it's it's a weird sort of alignment of things, and um, yeah, um, and. Uh, I mean, it's also, you know, I mean, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about stillbirth and about Wilder today, because, man, I could talk about them, you know, 24-7. I, I know a lot of stillbirth bereaved parents feel that way, and um, I just, this is a way of keeping his memory green for me, and people have different ways of doing that, but for me, you know, it's this, so, yeah, that's, I don't know. That's wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about the International Stillbirth Alliance. I know you've you've talked very broadly about what the goal of the alliance is, um, but can you talk a, a little bit about what the goals and the plans are for the next couple of years, especially with you being chair of the organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, ISA, um, our sort of value-added, quote-unquote, is um, really twofold. Um, number one, um, although we're very small and uh, all volunteer, we are, in fact, the only um, organization that's focused on stillbirth and works at a global level. And um, having been involved in various um, initiatives over the last um, you know, five to six years, I can say for sure that there isn't any other organization out there that fills this niche. And so that's one component of our value added. And the other 
is is my wonderful experience exemplified by my wonderful experience in um, starting in Antigua at the conference there, which is that it's also um, an organization that includes parents and clinicians and researchers as well as policymakers, and this wonderful overlap and inclusion of these groups, which which so often unfortunately are sort of relegated to different um, you know boxes. Um, uh, that's something that in ISA we. Uh, we we don't have, and we're always working towards um, more and more enmeshing of of the different uh, um, stakeholder groups, and um, that's 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 the second really uh, fantastic um, sort of um, uh, characteristic of ISA. And so, um, with that in mind, um, um, you know, I, I would say that our our um, my focus as the chair of ISA and our focus collectively on the board um, in the as we go um, forward is really fourfold. That we, uh, you know, I'm looking to make this um, to increase the sustainability of the organization, to increase the accountability of our organization, to um, really reach out to the global community, and to and to continue to be action oriented and data driven. And I can tell you what each of those means for me, at least as the chair. In terms of sustainability, I have to put that first. Um, people who work in the the area of stillbirth, certainly at a global level, are very uh, well aware that there is absolutely pathetically little funding out there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, you know, at ISA, um, I, I recently spoke to uh, somebody um, just in in a UN organization um, um, as I was. Um, discussing sort of funding needs and um, the person to be unnamed, uh, a stillbirth um, supporter, really had to have me repeat a couple times that we literally don't have any uh, funded staff, um, you know, at all um, in ISA or in the advocacy working group. Uh, the, the person couldn't believe that we've been able to produce all that we've produced um, without any staff. And so, but but really to, to go forward for sustainability, uh, for sustainability purposes, we have got to have some staff um, and, you know, those those staff need to be um, they need to be funded for, you know, for several years at least um, so that we can stop relying only on volunteers who are also doing their own clinical work or research and so forth. I mean, you know, you're, um, you know, as part of Star Legacy, we, we know what, um, how hard it is to get things done when you, when you have to rely on volunteers. Um, also, as part of sustainability, we are looking to increase our uh, regional offices. We have one in Australia that, um, sort of serves that um, area of the world, and also to proactively increase our membership. So um, that's, you know, I put that first, um, even though that's really the architecture of ISA and not our reason for being. Um, but with my roots in uh, the nonprofit world um, for, you know, going on 30 years, I know that you cannot get stuff done if you don't have a really strong, if you don't have really strong bones in your organization. And, you um, um, so that's that's got to go first. And second is accountability. Uh, one of the things we're working on at ISA is to improve our accountability to uh, bereaved parents and bereaved families, uh, to reach out to low and middle income country individuals. Um, and also to one of the things that we've uh, just done in the last year is to agree uh, to the, the biological reality and clinical reality that newborn deaths are on the continuum that stillbirth is on and that um, we need to and want to um, embrace 
uh, newborn death, bereaved parents, and newborn death as um, part of our mission to, to prevention of newborn deaths and support of bereaved parents after newborn death as well. Um, so, um, um, and another component of accountability. So those those portions of accountability are sort of, I'd say, reaching downward um, towards um, people who have been bereaved. Um, but also we want to reach upward and we want to um, really ensure that, um, as I say, that we have a seat at the table um, at, at global levels. And I'm happy to say that... Um, uh, we that that is starting to happen. I, as a representative of, of ISA, I'm now on the Every Newborn Action Plan Management team, and you can be sure that I will be speaking up for stillbirth um, at every chance that I that I get. Um, the third uh, component of our plans is to to really b- continue to build our global community. Um, and one of the visions that I have is that we we've actually had 15 annual uh, stillbirth conferences so far, and they've been on every continent except Antarctica. Um, really fantastic. But one thing that we haven't managed to do is to really build a network of all of those local organizations and individuals that attended each one of those conferences. And that's been really a lack of, um, as much of anything, a lack of funding and staffing to make that happen. So that's a vision that I have. We're also planning to have um, uh, stillbirth um, or ISA conferences and country workshops in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa in the coming couple of years. And that'll be very exciting because those are areas we haven't uh, been successful at, um, very successful at reaching out to. And of course, that's where the bulk of stillbirths occur. And then finally, we're going to continue to, to, um, Produce, to, to be action-oriented and data-driven um, in uh, through our three working groups. We have the Stillbirth Advocacy Working Group, uh, the Prevention Working Group, um, headed by uh, Floriska Korteweg at the, uh, in the Netherlands and uh, Vicky in uh, Australia, and the Bereavement Working Group, um, headed by Caroline Homer in – or no, sorry, um, not, not Caroline Homer um, – scratch that, headed by uh, Dimitris Yasikos um, on the ISA board. Um, uh, and each of those working groups um, has specific actions that we're undertaking. Um, the bereavement working group is uh, working on global um, guidelines for uh, bereavement support after stillbirth. Uh, the prevention working group, among other things, is working on a new classification system for causes of stillbirth and newborn death. And the advocacy working group, we one of the things that, in fact, I did an hour ago um, is to submit a bid to the Partnership for Maternal, Child, and Newborn Health, which is housed at the World Health Organization in Geneva, um, for our first funding from them to do two projects to raise parent voices at a global level. One is a parent support organization registry. Um, We're going to be researching and finding uh, parents, formal and informal parent support organizations in every country in the world. We're going to start with uh, the high burden regions and we'll put that registry up on the ISA website. And the other project will be to uh, create an advocacy toolkit for parent support organizations so that they can learn how to, um, to, to raise their voices within their own countries um, in health policy settings, health policy making settings. So the, that's, um, that's a heck of a lot, <laughs> but we have some, we have some fantastic people who are, who are able somehow to scrape together minutes um, of their time to, to, to push these, um, these actions forward. So yeah, again, another long answer, but. <laughs> no, it's important and wonderful. And I want to talk a little bit more about the working group, which you are the co-chair of the advocacy working group. 
And we know that uh, the goals are to increase the vil visibility of stillbirth in global policy agencies and their initiatives, including the World Health Organization, UNICEF, every newborn action plan. Why is this um, working group important? And, and what are your plans for working with these groups moving forward? Right. So, um, so one of the I guess the hardest parts for me of sort of wading into the stillbirth waters was um, at the global level was all these acronyms and, and, and organization never, I never heard of any of them. I mean, I had heard of a few of them through my poverty work. So I knew about, you know, UNICEF obviously, but um, I, you know, people threw around acronyms and, and, and initiatives and processes and platforms. And I didn't know what anybody was talking about back in, in 2011. And now I know a lot more. And, um, I think that, um, that, that it's, it's hard sometimes, um, to, to get up, to, to, to get a perspective, um, at a global level of, of, the uh, of what's of what's what role stillbirth plays and of why these uh, global entities um, such as the World Health Organization, UNFPA, UNICEF, why they are important to us as bereaved parents or clinicians or researchers in our own countries um, interested in stillbirth prevention and bereavement support. And, you know, the, the reason is that um, the, for example, the World Health Organization uh, really um, plays a huge role in uh, responding to and also um, guiding uh, uh, health policy in actual countries, which then plays out as budget allocations and uh, staffing of health initiatives, gathering of health-related data, um, and the actions of, of health workers on the ground at, at the local level. And it, uh, it is certainly not, I'm not meaning to say that the UN sets um, health policies in country, but um, uh, decisions that are made by um, UN United Nations bodies are, are decisions of the member countries, and they who, who inform and then go on to implement those decisions. And one of the enormous um, uh, steps forward for stillbirth was in 2014, when uh, the UN uh, General Assembly um, signed on to the Every Newborn Action Plan, and that was led uh, with um, a Herculean effort by Joy Lawn of the London School of Hygiene, Tropical Medicine, and Save the Children, as well as many others. The, um, and and that uh, ENAP E N A P um, that uh, was the very first um, global entity that set. A target for the global stillbirth rate, and the target is to reduce the stillbirth rate to 12 per thousand by 2030. Um, there are two goals of the Every Newborn Action Plan. The other one was a, a newborn a newborn death uh, target, and um, that architecture um, being established at the highest level then has played out all over the world as individual countries have created their own every newborn action plans as midwifery staffing and training and nursing staffing and training and data analysis data gathering has has begun to gradually align in many cases with um with the, the goals of the every newborn action plan and so for those of us who are taking a global view of stillbirth it's uh, it's crucial uh, to be engaged at the global level and also to see when um, uh, nations and uh, uh, UN and other global entities are not 
um, um, sort of adhering to those those global targets. And so the Stillbirth Advocacy Working Group, which was um, originally established by the Partnership for Maternal Newborn Child Health in 2016, and then they um, they established it, they ran it for six months, and then they cut funding to zero. And it was at that point that um, I at the International Stillbirth Alliance and Hannah Blanco at the London School for Hygiene and Tropical Medicine jumped in and said, we can't let this group die. We're going to co-chair it for, you know, as volunteers. And um, I just have to say that the the person who had been hired by PMNCH to, uh, to be paid to chair that group for six months literally laughed at me on the phone as, as I explained that Hannah and I would be doing this as volunteers. And here we are four years later and, you know, still a volunteer organization and, and we're doing great. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think that's been that's been a, a big success and victory. But in any case, one of the biggest um, uh, sort of outputs that um, the advocacy working group has created is the global scorecard. Um, we we um, we had uh, looked at the uh, the Lancet's ending preventable stillbirth series that was put out in 2016, which ISA had a lot to, to do with, and I was involved with um, as well. Um, and that Lancet series set out a call to action for global stillbirth prevention and bereavement support that uh, was based on the Every Newborn Action Plan uh, target of um, stillbirth reduction. And also, um, I was part of the the team to um, to really review that call to action in the Lancet series, and one of the the things that I as a brief parent and others um, involved um, insisted on was to include non-mortality related targets related to stigma reduction um, and bereavement support, um, which are so often sort of sidelined um, as we as we prioritize uh, mortality reduction. But in any case, the um, uh, the the problem was, as we know, with the lots lots of these calls to action, you know, they get published and then they get forgotten. And so in the Stillbirth Advocacy Working Group, we said we don't want that call to action to be forgotten. So we developed a very simple um, scorecard that includes targets for, uh, that are related to each of the components of the call to action and pulls together global um, data that's already being collected as part of other processes to track progress um, and lack of progress and lack of data <laughs> um, on, on that call to action. And so we've got um, now two, we've been doing this for two years. We've got two two years of data, and um, and um, many other groups, including the Star Legacy, have been very interested in um, uh, creating uh, country specific versions of the scorecard. But that's an example of the type of um, action that uh, we've taken uh, to shed light on progress and lack of progress and the need for progress. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say that. Um, it's 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 it can be daunting to kind of wade into the global waters because of all the, you know these people who are sort of been working at a global level forever and are very comfortable know each other and you know know all the acronyms and know all the you know um, um, sort of policy making um, um, approaches and 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 uh, what to do and what not to do it can be very daunting especially as a bereaved parent especially as a non clinician and and that's in fact one of the um, reasons that we are have just submitted this bid to create an advocacy toolkit for parent support organizations to say you can you you don't need to be afraid if you're interested in getting involved in policy you can you can do it you can learn um, and here's how so well that's a great segue into my final question which is. <laughs> Um, most of the people who listen to this podcast, myself included, live in the United States and are therefore 
for the most part, focused on stillbirth advocacy in their own backyard. I mm-hmm. think we feel like it's more a problem we can solve. It's smaller. It's more achievable. And the idea of doing something at the global level just feels so big and inaccessible. Um, are there things that families, health professionals, other uh, local organizations who may be listening to this podcast and connected to the Star Legacy Foundation, what they can do to support your efforts? Well, thanks for that question. And yes, I, I totally get that. And I think that, you know, I think that completely understandably and logically, the majority of, of um, parents and families or clinicians, whoever, who are interested in stillbirth prevention and support are going to be focused um, locally. And that's so crucial and critical. Um, and at the same time, they may be interested in just being more informed about um, um, stillbirth work at a national or global level, or, or they may even be interested in thinking about, about, um, moving in that direction. So, um, I think there, there are a number of things that, um, that, uh, that you can do if you're interested as an individual or an organization and finding out more, um, you know, obviously say you can go to the International Stillbirth Alliance website. We, we just, uh, did relaunch a new, um, uh, website which has a resources tab and, I'm responsible for getting those resources on the resources tab. So it's, I can tell you it's a work in progress, but we're trying to get more and more uh, resources up there. And I would say the first thing is to start re- doing a bit of reading. Uh, that's how I uh, came to the field of epidemiology in 2011. I just started doing a little bit of reading. And so we're we're trying to provide um, uh, a wide range of resources um, so that people can um, inform themselves. Um, so that's one thing that you can do. Um, another thing that you can do is um, uh, um, you can... Um, so, so um, Star Legacy is in, is is uh, working with us um, on um, a high income version of the um, global global scorecard, um, and in fact, uh, just last week um, we um, sent out a high income version of the scorecard to. Um, uh, to um, colleagues in many high-income countries, and I know Star Legacy, I'm sure, will be um, uh, working with us on that, and they have their own uh, scorecard for the U.S., and um, the, the U.S. scorecard is on the Star Legacy website. I would encourage people to, to take a look at it, um, and um, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, one if, if you're part of a, a parent support uh, group, um, um, maybe, obviously not um, for, for fresh losses, but perhaps um, for, for people who, who, whose losses are a little bit, um, a little bit later, uh, a little bit farther in, in, uh, uh, back in time. You may want to um, discuss, to, to have a meeting to discuss uh, what, you, what you have learned from uh, looking at the data on the, high, uh, on the U.S. country scorecard. It can be surprising to see uh, where data is and is not available. Um, there are differences uh, from state to state. There are differences uh, in stillbirth numbers within states between um, uh, a black and uh, uh, white and Hispanic families. Um, and, you know, start to think about um, some of the implications of um, all that data for the reality of stillbirth prevention in your own local area. Um, uh, you're certainly very welcome to reach out. To Also, um, another thing that you can do is... Uh, in the advocacy working group, we welcome anyone to join. Um, you, you can be an individual or, or an organization. You, if you're interested in joining, you can email me um, uh, or Hannah Blanco. I'm at s h l e i s h e r at a o 
advocacygroup.com um, to let us know whether you'd, you'd be interested in, in joining the advocacy working group. And there you can uh, um, talk to other um interested individuals about um, what to do with the um, data availability, lack of data, um, um, and what steps that you might want to take in your own area. Um, also, I think that we're always hoping to get more media attention to um, uh, to the, the stillbirth numbers and to inequity in stillbirth rates and to uh, lack of support uh, services and lack of research dollars and so forth. So I'd really encourage people to uh, drum up interest from their local media, social media, please get out there, uh, follow us at ISA Stillbirth, hashtag ISA Stillbirth, um, but also see if you can uh, uh, get a, a local media interested in an interview like, like this one or um, um, either in print or an interview. Um, and um, I would also urge everybody to read the Lancet's 2016 Ending Preventable Stillbirth series. Um, even if you, it's a series of five papers, it's available for free on the Lancet. The Lancet is a, a global um, public health journal, um, and you can access those articles for free. Um, uh, and there's also an executive summary, um, which parenthetically ISA had translated into 11 languages. But um, even if you uh, just read the executive summary, I think that'd be very informative. And uh, perhaps think about having a discussion um, in your group, support group, of um, how um, what you learn about stillbirth at a global or national level might translate into action that you can take at a, at a local level. And for those interested in learning more about the International Stillbirth Alliance, the website is stillbirthalliance.org. Susanna, yes. thank you for using your passions and your skills to help advance this very important topic at the global level. And thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for your interest, and um, I'm really grateful for that and for, for the opportunity to talk. Thanks. That's all for this episode of the Stillbirth Matters podcast presented by the Star Legacy Foundation. I'm Chris Duffy. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.